Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the eighth episode of your new favorite internet show, VisionCon Live. I'm your host, Zach Wilson, but you didn't come here to see me today. You came to see the man of the hour. He voices Iruka from Naruto, Cone from Bleach, Axel from the Kingdom Hearts series, just to name a few. A man I look up to so much it hurts my neck. Ladies and gentlemen, please help me welcome the man, the myth, the legend, Quentin Flynn. Quentin, how are you doing today? What? Thank you. I'm doing very well, Zach. That's a fantastic intro. I'm glad I mean, it's been recorded. I mean, it's what? Yeah, we were recording. And yeah, it's yeah. well deserved. Thank you so much for being on the show, Quentin. Oh, it's my pleasure. Well, Quentin, I just wanted to start us off kind of similar to how I start all of these. I want to know the origin story of Quentin Flynn. Now, we all know that you are one of the most regarded and recognized voice actors, actors, whatever verb, adjective, noun you want to use. But I kind of want to know, where did it all begin? Were you, is this the path you wanted to kind of choose when, you know, you were growing up? Or were there some variables in that that led you to where you are today? Uh, well, I, I mean, I started doing impressions as young as the age of eight. Oh, wow. And yeah, with a friend of mine in school, uh, Billy Ross. And he and I, for whatever reason, got together at that age and we uh, just write down lists of impressions and we would do impressions of impressionists impressions. <laughs> so watching TV back then, uh, you had The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, The Dinah Shore Show, Mike Douglas Show, Merv Griffin, and this all predates Saturday Night Live, which would also become an influence on me. Um, but we would watch guys like Rich Little, Frank Gorshin, Fred Travelina, and who am I leaving out? John Biner. Yeah, those are the major four. And also I listened to him on uh, LPs, uh, uh, John Biner in particular. There was a uh, parody of The First Family, which was from the 60s, so it would have been the Kennedys. And um, these guys, just seeing them on TV and the magic that they would wield by doing impressions, uh, for me, was some kind of magic. And I, I just did it, you know? I mean, I was a fine artist. I used to draw and illustrate and copy that way. And then suddenly I found myself doing, you know, impressions of other people like the Beatles. So, you know, Paul McCartney, the Beatles, that's great stuff. <laughs> and John Lennon is a bit more nasally, but he's from Liverpool too. Um, George Harrison, more peaceful, maybe an ad noidle in the back of the throat there. And Ringo, we all know, says, peace and love, peace and love. No more autographs. It's incredible so, to be able to do that just so seamlessly. But anyway, continue. Oh, thanks. And uh, Johnny Carson, who's the uh, Tonight Show host back then, big fan of his, so I was eight years old doing this voice. And then much later, of course it'd be Jay Leno. Yeah. Crunch him, we'll make more. Um, and Jimmy Fallon, um, oh my God, you're wonderful. Zach, it's just your show. It's, um, I don't, it's the best. You should do, uh, gosh, uh, I, you should be doing my show. You should be hosting my show. And I, oh gosh, I'm just a fan. So even the study you got down that yeah oh yeah because he oh yeah <laughs> and the laugh it, it's all it's all like typical him so I, I was happy that you included it. but anyway so so you did impressions you know all kind of growing up and you were obviously well known for that but what was the thing that kind of made you choose hey I want to get into acting and then later voice acting music kind of what what was the uh Oh, the catalyst that made you pick that versus maybe a more traditional kind of blue collar nine to five thing. Well, it just came naturally. Um, love music, love singing, uh, just gravitated toward acting. Um, 
I, I don't know where it came from other than it was ingrained in me and it was kind of what I was meant to do. Um, I had some steady jobs, but uh, once I got into high school, that's when I really segued into doing theater. And in four years, I performed in 11 of 12 plays. I had many leads. And I also, for the one play, did um, some extra work behind the scenes, you know, some uh, uh, grip work, they might call it, on a set, uh, oh. you know. And then I knew, I just knew I wanted to be in entertainment and show business as an all-rounder. You know, I had a rock band my senior year of high school, so that was you know, manifesting a rock and roll dream because I grew up in the rock and roll capital and listened to rock and roll radio and just loved and admired everyone who did that. So a combination of the Beatles, Jerry Lewis, um, Steve Martin, um, Saturday Night Live, of course, uh, wanted to do that kind of stuff, which is really, you know, character, variety, kind of all around entertainment. And when I went to university, I decided to study radio, TV, film, and theater. I did so and ended up doing a radio show, doing a sketch comedy show, and then getting an internship where I eventually was hosting the first alternative video music program that predated MTV's 120 Minutes. So with that, plus hands-on um, work with videos, shooting, editing, um, producing, I learned a lot. And it was inevitable that once I got out of college, uh, I would go to either New York, Chicago, or Los Angeles, because they didn't have what I was looking for in Cleveland, even though it was a great market for radio and TV, everybody had what they needed. So I had to hit the road. Do you hear the helicopters? I, I heard a little bit of humming, but uh, not too much. Yeah, they're coming for me. So <laughs> they can't they can't really see me. Sure. Uh, I have a special helipad up top. Um, it was installed and I, I, I just I sent them away. I said, eh, wrong day, wrong day. Wrong Today's interview day. Today's vision on live day. Well, I mean, I'd expect nothing less of Quentin Flynn. But okay, so we we you were kind of a man of many talents. You touched on a few that I kind of want to explore before we get into voice acting itself. Sure. So you mentioned music, Saturday Night Live, sketch comedy, you know, hosting things. Uh, I first kind of want to talk about you. You do your own music as well, correct? I do. Yeah, I'm a singer songwriter. Uh, I fronted a lot of bands since high school during college, post-college, out here in LA on the Sunset Strip, um, played the Whiskey, the Roxy, the Troubadour, all these legendary places that I grew up reading about in Rolling Stone magazine. And I was just like, I, I can't believe I'm doing this, you know? And with each step and with each new gig, it was something else. Um, I had a lot of fun uh, with my pal, Robbie Rist. We had a musical comedic duo called the Snozberries. And uh, one of our highlights was actually opening up for Nancy Sinatra, really? uh, the late Frank Sinatra's daughter, oh who had a hit in the 60s called These Boots Were Made for Walking. And, uh, and that's just what they'll do. One of these days, these boots, Zach, I'm gonna walk all over you. <laughs> yeah. It's funny you mentioned Robbie Rist because when I interviewed him for Virtual Vision Con, those of you who tuned in for that, uh, he mentioned your guys as kind of comedic uh, music duo. So I'm glad uh, you brought Oh, cool. That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was a great guy. And of course, had nothing but nice things to say about you, which, you know, can anybody blame him? But I hope uh, not. Yeah, he's a sweetheart. 
oh my gosh, the sweetest. Uh, but you did mention also Saturday Night Live, and a lot of you don't know this, and I certainly didn't, but you actually tested for Saturday Night Live, didn't you? I did. Okay. Um, I was in a sketch comedy group, and at the beginning of this uh, class, the teacher, Ann Beats, who was a Grammy Award, I'm sorry, an Emmy Award winning writer for the show on the first five seasons, said, uh, anybody have any goals here? Any uh, idea what they want to do? I said, yeah, I want to be on Saturday Night Live. She was like, well, we'll see about that. <laughs> and lo and behold, we put together a killer sketch comedy show. And I had a lead and she was willing to, um, you know, vet me as it were. And I sent in a demo and they accepted it. And then they flew me to New York. And suddenly I'm at Stand Up New York along with all these other um, hopefuls. And they said, you're going to go up in front of this packed house. They're not going to know you're here to audition. They just think they're seeing a comedy show. I'm like, oh man, that's pressure. Yeah. Because we, the stuff we had was tailored for the TV, you know, for the on-camera audition. So I had to kind of improvise uh, within my means. And I was waiting to find out when I was going up. And uh, 10 minutes before showtime, they finally came to us with a list and they said, okay, uh, number one, Quentin Flynn. I went, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, well, here's doing it. Here's doing it. And yeah, and so I went up and, you know, I did my act and in the back, I could see Lauren Michaels and Tina Fey. Oh my God. Marcy Klein and, oh gosh, Isla Cohen, um, Mike Shoemaker. And I was nervous, but I just rocked it. I did a little Owen Wilson, which is kind of fun, you know? It's great doing Owen. And um, I did some other original characters. Um, I did comic book guy that nobody really knows, but you know, he knows everything about comics. Like what's behind you is, you know, I see Bleach there. No, Naruto, is that it? No, it's Naruto, yeah. Of course, Naruto's great because, you know, there's a guy in there, Ruka Sensei, who put in Flynn place. So I'm Ruka <laughs> Sensei. If you're good, I'll get you some ramen. And then of course, there's Cone from Bleach. I'm Cone, what are you doing? I just want to get inside your, mm. So that ended up leading to testing the next day at Studio 8H at 30 Rockefeller Plaza, which was a huge thrill. And um, I popped in there and I was nervous as all get out, but just kept doing what I do, suiting up, showing up, open up my, opening up my mouth. Sometimes the words come out, as you can tell, and sometimes they get stuck. But uh, I walked in there and went to what they call home base, which is where all the guests, uh, the guest hosts stand at the e opening of the show. Yeah. And uh, many times, if you go back into the 70s and see Andy Kaufman, when he was standing on the stage with the red draped curtain behind him, when he was doing his very obscure and strange uh, act, you know, his Mighty Mouse, he'd be singing to the Mighty Mouse record. Or I should say he would actually be lip syncing to it. Mm -hmm. That was where I auditioned and um, God, uh, Richard Pryor was on that stage and Steve Martin and so many more. Um, but I was waiting and the cameraman came up to me and he started fitting me with a lavalier and he said, don't worry, everything's going to be fine. Um, you'll notice off in the distance to your left uh, the whole table in the shadows with Lauren and Tina and everyone. Oh. No attention. Uh, and they're, they're not going to laugh. So don't expect it. Just go through your act. 
just play to the camera. Have a good time. Just relax. Everything will be fine. You need anything? <laughs> uh, I was like maybe an audience because I could look up and see the open seats in the sure. stands. And uh, no, so that's that's it. And I rocked it. Um, had a lot of fun. I did a few new things, uh, original characters, impressions. And then, um, you know, then it was a waiting game. Uh, ultimately, though, that season, they ended up going with Finesse Mitchell, who lasted three seasons, and Keenan Thompson, who's been on for years. Yeah. Um, and uh, But it was a great, great thrill for me and my pal David Kessler, who's a co-writer, who came with me. And, um, and then I went back to Anne and told her what happened. And she said, I told you you should have waited a year. You're too much like Jimmy. <laughs> Jimmy Fallon. Oh, my God. I mean, is that something that you'd ever want to kind of, you know, maybe try out for again? Or do you think that's just kind of came and went? You know, it's a good question. I have no idea what the future holds. Um, I, I would... I would love to work with Lauren Michaels. I've loved that show and what he's done with it over the years and all of the offshoots he's done, the way he produces. Um, there's an edge to the show. Uh, sure, it's had its ups and downs, but it's always unpredictable. It's live. I love live, even this. You yeah. know, it's live and happening. I don't know what people are doing, but we're doing it together. And um, so, yeah, you never know. I mean, I've thought of doing some more online stuff. And if my attention, if I'm brought to his attention, I should say, uh, then perhaps I would be open to it. Absolutely. I mean, I think you'd be a killer guest for Saturday Night Live. And, and no, no disrespect to Kenan Thompson or anything like that at all. Yeah. But, but I do want to, next one I want to talk about, so was it kind of a seamless transition between, okay, so you, you've done music, acting, you know, of course impressions, but then we get into voice acting, you know, video games, anime, cartoons, you know, the whole shebang was that kind of just a seamless transition one thing after another or were any of them a little bit more difficult than the other well good question um the voiceover kind of came from me being in a place out here when i was doing a number of things i was in a sketch comedy group i had a band i had a job i had done stand-in work for Paul Rubin, who was Pee Wee Herman, uh, Luke Perry, the late Luke Perry. They were both in the movie Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And, uh, you know, I'd done some other bits and bobs. And suddenly my girlfriend at the time said, you know, you took that great voiceover workshop with Bob Bergen and you did so well. Why don't you just focus on one thing and nail it? And then, you know, you can do other things later on. I said, that sounds like a good idea. So I started with that, put together a demo, ended up fortunately lucking out and getting an agent with a lot of work, and then um, just started auditioning. And what happened first were commercials for radio, promos for the CBS network, like coming up next on the Drew Carey Show. And then uh, suddenly I was doing Timon on Around the World with Timon and Pumbaa replacing Nathan Lane. Um, and then I was the Human Torch, Flame On, for the Fantastic Four. And then I was Johnny Quest and the Real Adventures of Johnny Quest. Dad, where's Bandit? We gotta go find Haji. <laughs> um, and it would just seemed like there was a st steady stream at that point. And then 
you know, multiple commercials that were really hot back in the day, um, mostly for radio, some for TV, had a Super Bowl ad that was really cool, uh, where I played a slim pickings kind of bird. He was a pigeon who was flying around the air and looked like he was going to dump on a car for Nissan, I think. Woo-hoo! And um, then suddenly this new world of gaming came about. And the first game I voiced was uh, from Monkey Island, in which I played a character named Mr. Fossey. Uh, and then it, it went on from there. Um, I played Spider-Man in Marvel's Ultimate Alliance, uh, Venom in Friend of Foe. Um, I even played Gollum and Mary in a Lord of the Rings uh, game. I was in a Minority Report. You know, and then slowly but surely it segued into Raiden in Metal Gear Solid 2. And I was, you know, just like this. There was a visual of two people. Colonel, I'm, I'm stuck. I'm stuck in a room in Los Angeles. I don't know what to do. I know I need to find Snake, but I think he left in a helicopter. Tell me what to do next. Zach? <laughs> Colonel? You know. I mean, honestly, honestly... So it's interesting that you bring up Raiden because Metal Gear Solid is one of my favorite series of all time. However, it wasn't until Metal Gear Solid, Metal Gear Solid 2 that I actually fell in love with the franchise. And that, and that is owed a whole bunch to you as Raiden because I loved the kind of plot twist with that entire game. I loved Raiden's to kind of, because it was, it was very much so Raiden's game, Metal Gear Solid 2. And, you know, just the fact that you stayed with the series in all iterations of Raiden, be it... Uh, Metal Gear Solid 4, Guns of the Patriots, Rising, the whole shebang, you know, you do a great job as well. And I think that was, honest to God, probably one of uh, my first instance of being a big fan of yours. So it is uh, great to hear that Raiden meant a lot to you as well. Oh, absolutely. Thank you. Um, yeah, and then going on to Metal Gear Solid 4, I, I actually had to audition for the part of Raiden yeah. again because they wanted his voice to mature and drop it down into here and also be able to go into here. Um, and instead of just auditioning me for it, they, some other, I don't know if it's another casting house, it must have been, had a group of us come in to the old uh, Charlie Chaplin lot, which then became A&M, which was a record lot. And then, um, oh gosh, the Muppets. Um, you know, he did Kermit the Frog, he voiced him. Jim Henson. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And Miss Piggy, let's not leave her out. So suddenly I'm on the, that lot uh, auditioning for this, and I go, this character seems vaguely familiar, and uh, but it was not named Ryden. It was just this generic character, and there were two tables in front of me, uh, Americans to the right, Japanese to the left. They even had Skype. So there was a video camera on me and others watching me and talking to one another. And it wasn't until I left and spoke to my agent later that she said, do you know you just auditioned for? I said, what? She was riding. I'm like, what? They could have told me. Um, and and then, it, it, then it went back to the original casting. And thank God I got it. Uh, because, of course, that led to Metal Gear Rising Revengeance, which was a stellar game for Raiden and I got the, to say you know one of the best hack and slash games of all time hands yes up. and being able to say things like now it's time for Jack to let her rip <laughs> Jack the Ripper you know which is kind of cool mm -hmm. you know going back into the old 
killer, Jack the Ripper, into the uh, smoky or foggy streets of London. And I'm an Anglophile, so I like that connection. But I found him to be more of a hero than a villain, of course, except he had to do these heroic deeds of villainy in a way. Not something that any normal superhero like Spider-Man might do, you know, or, or Deadpool. Definitely more of an anti-hero, though, of course, Deadpool, you know, pretty much the a trademark anti-hero character. Definitely. But so was Raiden one of your probably first big voiceover roles, or did that kind of happen earlier or later? Well, the big voiceover roles for me happened probably before you were aware of my work, and it was the animated stuff. Okay. It was doing the Timon and Pumbaa spinoff, Fantastic Four, Johnny Quest, uh, guesting on Animaniacs, Woody Woodpecker. A lot of animation was popping at the time. Uh, Billy and Mandy, Grim and Evil. Um, and then it was, the, like I said, this building of the video game world where, yes, suddenly, I'm this original character uh, as opposed to, you know, one of the trademark characters that I spoke about before. And then Raiden became me or, and or I became Raiden. And then somewhere along the way, Kingdom Hearts came together and I started playing this character who'd never been around before named Axel. And, um, and yes, to anyone out there, I've got it memorized. <laughs> <laughs> I certainly have it memorized. And I'm so flattered that Zach would have me here today to see all of you. You cannot imagine when, and again, we said this earlier before we started recording, but I want this on recording as well. Tabitha Whitelaw, thank you so much for helping the, make this happen, make a personal dream of mine come true, and also getting Quentin Flynn on VisionCon Live, episode eight, which, <laughs> speaking of which, everybody, if you haven't already, go ahead and say thank you, Tabitha. We're going to give her a round of applause. Yes. Definitely. And ah. also, while you're in the chat, I have my very lovely and courageous, strong, whatever adjective you want to use, coworker and friend Marissa Pence was so kindly put a lot of links that we're going to touch on later in the interview regarding Quentin Flynn, but you have all have access to those links in the chat right now. Or if you're watching on YouTube right now, once it's been recorded and uploaded, it's going to be right down there in the description, but we'll get to those in a sec. But next I wanted to talk about, so video games, you're a household name. But a lot of people also that are watching right now, again, either on Facebook Live or on YouTube, know you for your anime and cartoon work as well. And so sure. I kind of wanted to touch on a couple of them real quick. The first one, Absolutely. of course, to no surprise to both anyone watching, again, Facebook or YouTube, you, if you know me, you know Naruto's my favorite thing of all time. And so nice. you played his mentor, his father figure, Iruka Sensei, Kind of, yeah. how, did you, how did you get that role? Did you kind of know anything about you know, Naruto, be it from the manga or anything like that before auditioning? Or is it just kind of another audition that just turned into a very powerful character? You said it best. It was another audition that turned into a powerful character. And uh, yeah, I didn't have a clue at the time. Didn't know anything. I didn't know the backstory. I just had what's called, we were given sides. That's what they call them. It's usually a picture of the character and a breakdown and then some dialogue. And I just kind of went for it with the director and the director at the time said, oh, you know, try it this way, try it that way. Oh, I like where you pitched him right there. And suddenly I was in a series where I was saying things like, you know, Naruto, if you're good, I'll take you out for some ramen. And if you're not good, I'll scream at you like this. Naruto! 
And um, yeah, I, I had no idea when I was doing him that he would become a mentor and a father figure for Naruto. And many fans uh, in the last number of years have come to me and said as much. And they said, you know, he's meant so much and you've meant so much to us. Um, I can't thank you enough. So I'm honored. I'm grateful. I got I to tell you, and this is a slight spoiler for everyone, but I mean, Naruto's been out for a long time. So if you're worried about uh, any Naruto spoilers, you know, if you're watching live on YouTube, maybe fast forward like 30 seconds. Uh, anybody watching the live chat right now, forgive me. Uh, in Naruto, the last, you know, the last movie, when Naruto asks, um, actually, no, it wasn't in Naruto the last, it was uh, near the end of Naruto, when he asked Aruka sensei to be like the father at his wedding, tears, Quentin, I was... Yeah just bawling tears when you did that. And so I would say, yeah, Aruka, definitely a huge influence, a big, very impactful to everybody, and a very serious character who also knows, you know, when to have some levity. Now I wanna go to a different character who's the exact opposite, who's seldom serious, but yes. very often not the comedy relief that we need in a show that often is pretty grim. And I, of course, am talking about Cone from Bleach. Of course, Cone. So it, was that similar to Ruka? And uh, kind of, did one kind of behead the, or not behead, rather, uh, but test wow, the other? That's powerful. <laughs> Which what I mean is <laughs> cartoons and anime, while there are a lot of similarities, there are also plenty of differences as well. So kind of what was your first kind of instance of getting into anime voice acting? And then kind of, what about Cone? You know, kind of how was that job kind of different than some of the others? And was it as fun as you sound like you're having? Or was it just another voice? No, no, very fun. I mean, again, I love doing comedy and I like comic relief. And he is the comic relief in that series. Uh, you know, the fact that he's this pervy little plushie running around. Um, and everyone yeah, treats him just like he's normal, you know? He's, he's the only animated plushie he's a little lion and uh you know his bark is bigger than his bite for sure um but he really wants to do the right thing and of course he's also i don't know if you'd consider him like a horny teenager or <laughs> or what but he can't you know he can't get enough of rukia and some of the ladies you know he's just like come on rukia i need you i love you um, you know, get out of here. I'm gonna do this. I can do this. And then <laughs> and he gets, you know, stuffed into the closet or has a stuffing beat out of him. But somehow he still comes around. And it was a challenge because there were times I would have to get certain words into a certain set amount of time for him. And um, each episode, it was different. Uh, the opening was always different. It was never the same. And uh, I'm blanking right now on, on, I just remember golden, you know, like golden. Yeah. Uh, if you told me the line, I could do it. But there would be like sometimes three, se uh, two seconds to do it, 1.5 seconds to do it, uh, 1.8 seconds to do it. I mean, it, so it's a combination of rhythm and acting. Uh, it's mu musicality for dubbing. And that's the the similarities between him and Aruka are that I'm dubbing animated uh, an animated series into English. So the performance has to be there. The lip flaps have to match. And again, it's musical in terms of rhythm, but it has to be real and believable for as much as it can be in that kind of a fantasy series. 
So uh, I loved him. I, I, I had a ball. And I don't remember auditioning, uh, although I did. Uh, I just remember loads of time playing him. Yeah. So, was, so you getting into anime, did you, being such a prolific voice actor in like cartoons, like the ones you listed, Johnny Quest, Spider-Man, little thing, did that kind of help get you into anime? Or was that a whole other beast that you had to tackle, kind of similarly to how you tackled all these other art forms? Yeah, it was, uh, it was different uh, because in original animation, we record and they animate to us. Uh, and we usually work in a group. Whereas in anime, uh, we work alone to picture. You know, I'm watching the images pass by me with headphones on. The director's in the booth, usually to my left, sometimes to my right. And um, I'll hear a series of beeps, you know, one, two, three, beep, beep, beep. And then I have to go and make it work. And um, one of the directors, whether it be uh, Susie or Mary Elizabeth um, or Jeff Nimoy, when Jeff and I used to work together on uh, Digimon Data Squad, in which I played Marcus Damon. Uh, there was another anime series Jeff and I did together where I played Dr. Riddles, and that was Zatch Bell. And uh, he and I had a ball. And actually, because of our relationship, I then first started going to conventions like 15 years ago. Wow. So... Oh, but to, to, to follow up, yeah, I got no, no, no. into anime because the, the director of a company called Studiopolis, Jamie Simone, mm -hmm. he and I had worked on an animated series, one or two in the past. So he had, you know, had me in to audition for roles and just boom, I popped the one, boom, I popped the other. And similarly with those other two series I just mentioned. So for a number of years there, I'd be in and out and seeing Jamie quite often. So I have him to thank for a lot of this as well as Jeff. So with all of these roles that you've done, and like I said earlier in the interview, I mean, you were easily one of the most popular, recognizable voice actors, actors, whatever adjective you want to use, you know, around. But it can't have always been that easy. So my next question is, was it always that easy? And if it wasn't, you know, kind of, how did you kind of get through it? I mean, obviously, you know, rejections suck for everyone, but in an industry that rejection is so prevalent, I mean, it, it must take a toll on the mental health. So kind of what do you do when the going gets more rough than usual that kind of keeps you the positive Quentin Flynn we all know and love? What do I do, Zach? What do I do? I start to lose my mind and I need my blue blankie. Where's my blue blankie? Oh, where's my blue blankie? <laughs> and I look for my monster. My monster in Young Frankenstein. You can find me there or in the producers and everything's good. Everything's fine as long as I keep it together just like Gene Wilder would. I go to my happy place. Ladies and gentlemen. So, that was great. Uh, that's how's that for a wilder impression and dodging the question at the same time. Um, <laughs> Knock that spark. So there you go. There's there's a little truth to that in terms of being um, fearful and insecure. That you know, how am I going to get by? What's coming up next? What am I going to do? Um, gosh, if I spend too much in my head alone, that's a dangerous neighborhood to be in by myself. Mm. It's like going into the forest. You get too far in, you don't know how to get out. 
So um, I have a lot of friends that I keep in touch with. And, you know, it's interesting you bring up mental health because uh, many times over the years I've, I've suffered uh, uh, clinical depression, uh, generalized anxiety disorder, and um, had to have that treated uh, biochemically and also with the help of good therapists. And um, yeah, I'm also in some 12-step recovery groups for other things. And I have found it has made my life so much better. You know, we all help one another out. And so if anyone out there is suffering in any capacity, whether it's some form of addiction or um, a mental or emotional disorder, I would definitely encourage you to seek help um, now more than ever because we have online access. You could, if you're just fingertips away from reaching out and connecting with someone or making a phone call. Um, and I've had a lot of Zoom meetings since we've been in this pandemic and met a lot of wonderful people, uh, not only here, but all over the world. Uh, there is a silver lining to what's going down. And, uh, you know, we help one another. Nobody is terminally unique, although we are all unique in our essence and our spirit. And I believe we are these unique spiritual beings having this human experience. And absolutely, I mean, you said it best yourself, but I will say a big reason why we started this show, VisionCon Live, is because, I mean, I don't need to tell all of you guys, you know, in the chat or on YouTube, the world kind of sucks right now. You know, obviously, you know, there's glimmers of, you know, happiness, you know, it, it's nice to, you know, have a little bit more downtime, you know, if you're not, of course, an essential worker, but, you know, it, we've definitely had brighter times, and so... Uh, we kind of wanted to start this show just, you know, to bring some joy to you guys, you know, both as the guests and those watching at home. So we hope, you know, from the bottom of our hearts from VisionCon, not just me, but everyone on VisionCon, we hope we've succeeded at least a little bit with that. But, you know, another thing I kind of touched on that I want to kind of expand on, uh, rejection is a big part of the industry. And I do mm. also know that a lot of people watching these, because we've done, uh, the ser a lot of the series has focused on voice actors. And so, and I know based on, you know, prior uh, interviews that rejection is a big part of that. So how do you, Quentin Flynn, again, you know, one of the most popular voice actors around have dealt with rejection in the past. And for anybody watching who's wanting to get into voice acting, kind of how would they deal with, best deal with rejection from your advice? All I can hear is how many times you've said the word rejection. <laughs> rejection. <laughs> That's the focal point. Rejection. Rejection. Um, well. You know, I tend to look at it as selection and not rejection. Okay. You know, I've had to because it's a very, um, the business is ever changing. It's mercurial in terms of who they like, when they like them, what they want. You know, it's kind of hurry up and get me so-and-so. Uh, or have you heard about so-and-so? Or who's so-and-so? Or get me a young so-and-so. Uh, you know, Sometimes they don't even know what they want. Um, so how do I deal with it? You know, I just cope the best I can. I think like many other actors, we, I don't know that I'd say I have a, a, a tough skin because I think we're all very vulnerable and sensitive types. I have a thin skin. Um, there's many roles that I would like that I haven't gotten, but I will say the roles I've gotten have been just right and perfect for me. Um, so I do my best to kind of hold it together and look at what's really important at the end of the day, you know, and at the end of my life, am I going to be lying there on my deathbed? If they said, you have 10 minutes to live, 
what are your greatest memories and what are your greatest regrets? I don't think I'll be saying, oh, I just couldn't get over not getting SpongeBob SquarePants. <laughs> I, uh, I don't think that was gonna, that's gonna happen. <clears throat> but um, so yeah, it's just, it's a numbers game, you know? If you're gonna get into this business, know that, uh, I guess I'll use the R word, sure, there is rejection. I should have said for the folks at home watching, take a shot every time I said the in word. In that, you know, they may Yeah, right? <laughs> yes, we'd have some hammered folks out there. Uh, yeah, let me tell you another thing about rejection. Hold on, this is not actually Aquafina, not in Joyce. This is a big bottle of vodka. Hey, so this is here to party. That's how we take our shots. Hold on, <laughs> give me two two minutes. All the time you need. Oh, I've had too much sunnies, and you guys look great. <laughs> So, um, so yeah, anyway, um, you just got to know coming into it that it, you, it, look, if you're not, um, if you're not a trust fund baby, if you're not a trustafarian and you don't have, if you're not sitting on piles of money and you can just kind of roll around and do nothing, you may have to have a job or two jobs and do whatever you need to do to make ends meet while you're creating your vision and going for your career. Um, I'm still doing it. I'm still learning. I'm still upgrading. I'm still learning more about tech. And um, I just keep doing it. And sometimes I wonder why I do it. And sometimes I think I should be doing something else. But it is what I do well. It's what I do best. It's what I know the most about. So I just keep doing it. So if it's, I'll look at the camera. If this is what you want, if you want insecurity in your life, if you want doubt, then definitely become an actor. So, so to make sure if we haven't uh, scared anyone watching at home, if they are considering to get into voice acting, and you kind of touched on it a little bit uh, earlier, it is definitely a more competitive kind of field to get in because, you know, as each technological advance happens, you know, I won't say it's easier to get into voice acting because, I mean, it's still a very hard job, you know, to yeah. uh, become successful in and even get into. But if this is something that they definitely want to get into, what's some advice that you would give the folks at home that are like, for sure, this is what they want to do with their lives. Now, Quentin Flynn, what can you tell them to maybe try to help them in their journey? Well, I mean, I can tell you what my path has been. And <clears throat> most other actors worth their salt, I think, would say uh, it's all about acting. So always be acting. And uh, whether that means taking an acting course or taking it, joining an improv group, sketch comedy, if that's your thing, that was my thing. I've done both dramatic as well as comedy, musicals. Uh, that all helps and because ultimately once you have learned the tools of how to work behind a microphone, which would be a good idea to do, you'll need to be able to take direction quickly from directors and make changes like that. I mean, they'll work with you, but you have to you know, kind of know your craft. and. For me, that was doing workshops, uh, animation workshops, uh, character development, I should say, commercial workshops. Um, and if you have any questions about it, go to, and this is online, I want to be a voiceactor.com. It's not a joke, it's actually true. Uh, a peer of mine, a good guy named D. Bradley Baker, put it together for folks who would ask the question that you just asked me. Um, how would I get into it? What can I do? Because there are people who didn't follow my track 
There are people who were actors that then became voice actors, you know, who had done maybe some TV or film. There were some radio jocks who got into voice acting on the other side of their radio gig, uh, you know, that kind of thing. Have to change my voice. Gosh, I can't believe they don't think I sound natural. That's so strange. Um, also, if someone tells you you have a great voice, that's wonderful. But it takes more than having a great voice to be a voice actor. Um, yeah, I did a session the other day. I can't speak about. However, I can tell you I was reprising a role with a main character. And even with that, I still had to have a sound clip or two played for me and the director. So he would know what he was dealing with. And for me, it was easier to get into them. And I was then requested and expected to do two new characters on the spot. Wow. So you kind of have to have, you know, some tools in, in your cachet, if you will, to be able to just kind of rock with it, you know, and play. So that's what I would encourage people to do. Educate and play. I mean, is that a big way, kind of how your process works? Because in all of your works, you know, even if you're playing serious characters, it does sound like you're having a lot of fun. And would you say that's kind of the essence of every good voice actor is they have to enjoy what they're doing and not just see it as just like a nine to five or a traditional job? Yeah, because it's not. It's just not a nine to five or a traditional job. We have to be available five days a week to audition. Um, then we audition. And we don't know if or when we're going to get a role. And here's a big thing. You don't hear about not getting a role. So you can have loads of auditions, but you only hear if you get the job. So more often than not, you hear nothing. So it's living in uncertainty. Oh, that's wild. Yeah. In fact, I had an on-camera commercial audition a week ago. And then it turned into a callback on Friday. And I set it up and had to shoot it from here in my home. And we, it was a Zoom patch uh, with like five people. Mm -hmm. And um, I haven't heard back. So I'm kind of on pins and needles at this moment. You know, it's something I'm really hoping for. Uh, and I just have to keep reminding myself, if it's meant to be, it'll be. You know, but there's another voice going, but it should be me. It should be me. <laughs> It should be me. It's me. An inner golem kind of dialogue. Yes, precious. Mm. We've been talking about some pretty, uh, you know, we've pep been peppering in a little bit of some darker, kind of more, you know, serious conversation in this interview. So before we go into the plug zone and then viewers' comments, I did yeah. want to give you the chance to talk about one fun thing that you were telling me about a couple days ago, and that's the story of you imitating Paul McCartney. Oh, yeah. Um, a friend of mine called me a number of years ago from Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, he's a manager who's managed Joe Walsh from the Eagles, uh, Ian Hunter, who was in Mata Hoopo. He also penned Cleveland Rocks, uh, which it was an iconic song that went on to be the theme for the Drew Carey Show. The Drew Carey Show coming up next. Quentin Flynn. See how I brought that all together? Yeah. And, and uh, so David called me and he said, I'm going to be on uh, the radio show with Brian and Joe. Uh, which was WMMS in Cleveland. And they were friends of mine. I'd been on the show before. And he said, I want to tell them that I've got Paul's personal number. And McCartney was on tour at the time. And he was in Los Angeles, which is where I am. So that was three hours behind Cleveland. And he said, so we're going to call you at uh, 
5.30 in the morning. So they called and I was ready and I picked up the phone, you know, groggily, you know, because I'll give you, there's two Paul McCartney voices. Now the old Paul McCartney's here, you know, the thing is, you know, when John and I played together, you know, we'd just go nose to nose with our guitars, looking into each other's eyes. You know, if there was a problem, he'd say, hey, it's just me. So that's Paul one. But Sir Paul McCartney, the way he is these days, he's got more of a crackly voice if you've heard him, you know, in his interviews. So the phone rings, I pick it up. I was like, uh, hello. Yeah, no, David, great to hear you. It's half five. Oh, no, yeah, I can say hi to the lads. Hello, Brian. Hi, Joe. It's great to meet you. It's Paul. Anyway, uh, went on like that for a bit. They were blown away, so much so that they were carrying on with their episode and they got a call from McCartney's management because someone in, was in Cleveland, heard this, and was outraged that they had Paul's personal number and woke him up. And uh, so my buddy had to cop to the fact that he's like, that really wasn't Paul. That was your friend, Quentin Flynn. And they're like, oh, <laughs> we got punked. <laughs> got we got punked. Suddenly I sound like Gilbert Gottfried. <laughs> Man, just like one after the other, just like seamlessly. It's crazy. Yes. Mm. Oh, my gosh. Well, ladies and gentlemen, right now, if you haven't already, I know plenty of you have already asked questions or wrote things that you want to tell Quentin Flynn, and we'll get to those in a minute, but you haven't already, now is your chance to do so in the live chat because, ladies and gentlemen, we're in the plug zone. We're so in the Quentin plug Flynn. zone. In the plug zone. In the plug zone. Oh. Zach and Quentin Flynn on VisionCon. You're in the plug zone. So get really, on, get, get I in. Plug, I really need a plug zone theme, but Quentin yeah. Flynn, now That's is your thing. chance to plug, promote, advertise, whatever verb you want to use, anything you want to the folks watching at home. Well, follow me on Instagram, please, and tell your friends and neighbors. Um, that's at Quentin Flynn one. Uh, follow me on Twitter, that's at Quentin Flynn. And go to my Facebook fan page, which is Quentin Flynn. And also, if you want a video shout out, of which I, I give a fully invested uh, piece to fans who do uh, write and request it, on, I'm on Cameo. And um, I have a lot of fun with that. And uh, you'll dig it too. So there's an opportunity for me to do a personalized video for you. Um, I don't have an online store set up, but if you know, you're wanting to purchase uh, eight by tens of some of my characters, that's probably something we could sort out. Uh, general pricing would be the same as it is at conventions. And I would say try contacting me through Instagram. That's the easiest way. And for those of you who missed it uh, beforehand or just need a reminder, all of those links that Quentin just talked about are in the live chat pinned by the one and only Marissa Pence. So Thank you, you Marissa. Or if you're watching on YouTube, it's on in the description below. So ladies and gentlemen, we're out of the plug zone. And we're going nice. to viewers' comments and questions. So give me one sec to scroll all the way up. Dude, you're a pro. I'm loving the show. Oh my gosh, you are. You have no idea how much that means to me. And before I start crying, I'm going to read some stuff. Cool. All right. So, okay. So, Aaron is psyched that he's finally gotten a chance to meet you. What's going on, Aaron? All right. Oh, and then Marissa. Marissa, you're always the wind beneath my sails. Marissa provided a very easy uh, way to look up the questions. Thank you, oh, dear. Good. 
So Aaron wanted to know if a Digimon data squad crossover with Marvel, would Marcus and Agumon want to team up with Avengers or Guardians of the Galaxy and why? That's a, that's a great idea. I wish you were writing for them and, and casting. Yeah, uh, Marcus and, and Agumon, uh, that would be brilliant. Uh, and why wouldn't they want to get together and hook up and, and rock this world? Yeah, they could use the two of them. They certainly could. But do you think uh, they would team up with the Avengers or the Guardians of the Galaxy? Oh, or, right. Yes. Mm, yes Guardians of the Galaxy. Guardians of the Galaxy? Any reason why? Or just because they're kind of the it's most just, fun? It's a perfect fit, you know, because it's more of an, it's an odd bunch. That's what I would say. You know, the Avengers are kind of your classic traditional Marvel types. Um, I mean, I'm happy to say I've, I've played the characters I mentioned before, Human Torch, Spidey, Venom. Um, gosh, who else did I play? Malaketh, Malaketh the Accursed, uh, Arcade, Anvil. Um, so, yeah, it just makes sense that Marcus Damon and Agumon would go to Galaxy. They just would. Because if, if, if you've seen them before, you, you would know visually how they pair up. And they just would stick out like sore thumbs with the Avengers. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. Yeah. The next question, uh, Marissa actually wrote in and had a pretty interesting one. She said, Quentin, I have kind of a silly question. A friend okay. and I were talking about uh, when people imitate someone close to them, yeah. uh, it's never how they actually sound. Uh, for instance, uh, when, you, when she imitates her mom, it's definitely not her actual voice. So right. she's asking, uh, she wants to know, who in your life do you do kind of an imitation of their voice that's like clearly not actually their voice, but it's kind of a fun imitation? Excellent question. Um, yeah, I've found that when I do imitations, the ones that are within my vocal range sound the best. <clears throat> and if they're not, if they're outside of it, then if, if they're a caricature, I can turn them into that. Um, I, I can't think of any that I'm not happy doing. If there's anything I do that I don't do well, I tend not to do it. <laughs> uh, you know, but I do like to do impressions on the spot. So sometimes I will do impressions of people at conventions. I mean, lately I was just doing Nicolas Cage the other day because I thought he was so much fun. Like, I was Ghost Rider. Why don't you bring me up? Why am I not in Marvel's universe with the Avengers? Come on! And that segues into Doc Brown from Back to the Future, yeah. which is Christopher Lloyd and Bright Marty. Well, you gotta, huh? Why don't we watch Gardens of the Galaxy and add Marcus Damon and Agumon? Um, so I don't know how to answer your question. Um, mine are as close to being on as possible, uh, but I will say that if they're not, they can turn into characters that you can use for voice acting. I've done that before. Or they can turn into characters for you that are unique to you. Uh, for example, there's a guy I know um, that you wouldn't know. But uh, I just, you know, <laughs> I like doing his voice because, you know, he's kind of a crazy guy. He's kind of not going to be like, Zach, you know, thanks a lot. I appreciate you uh, having me here. But, uh, you know, truth of the matter is I didn't bring my guitar. And if I would have known there were people out there who wanted to see me, I'd play a song for them. <laughs> Sorry, we didn't do it. Uh, now, I shan't mention his name, but that is a fun character. <laughs> I mean, you, you have fun with it, that's for sure. Um, a, a kind of a, a more deeper one uh, that we want to go to. Uh, Tabitha wrote in and asked, do you have a character that's le left kind of an emotional impact on your life? I mean, obviously you've voiced so many characters within the years, but are there any that have just like really kind of stuck with you over the years? 
Mm, I don't know. That's a tough one, really. Um, they, they, they all have sweet spots for me. I, I just have different experiences, I remember, that were wonderful for me. Like, um, eh, I'll step away from characters and get back to that. Sure. I did a commercial job with the late, great James Coburn. Uh, and he is a fantastic actor. He was in The Magnificent Seven. He was in, in like Flint. He was in all kinds of movies. He was like a Steve McQueen. And I know I'm going back for some of the audience here, but this guy was so warm and so charming. And I sat down next to him in the booth and I knew I was with a legend and I made the guy laugh. And he had this really warm laugh and he was very kind to me. And I admired him as much as you said you admire me. So it was just that kind of thing where you're like, I can't believe I'm having a wonderful conversation with somebody I thought I would never meet. So that really stays in my heart, those times with him. And I will say of all the characters I've done, I've really grown fond of this character named Jin, Jin the Virtuoso, who's in League of Legends, because he is a theatrical man who sees art in death. And I have found that villains don't really know their villains. So that was a role I auditioned for and I got called back for when I was in England. So I had to re-audition for it at my cousin's home. And it's what I, I really wanted. And that was one of those spots that I ended up getting. And there's going to be more of that in the future. So yeah, I just have a really uh, warm spot for Jin and also because I was able to ad-lib and improvise. And so there are some lines in there that were mine. Wow. Yeah. Well, I did want to touch on one real quick. Like, this is a cute one. Uh, so Susan wrote in and said, so my five-year-old is sitting here with me, and he wants you to know that he says hi. Hi. <laughs> he met you at, Ma oh, what is that? Yeah, MatsuriCon last year. MatsuriCon. Did I pronounce that correct? Mm, mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And he's kind of been talking about you since then. Aw. Well, thank you. That's wonderful. And if I did one of the most beloved characters I have done from Nickelodeon that I just remembered, it would be Sheldon from My Life as a Teenage Robot. And Sheldon says, hello, and I love you, and I hope you're good. And maybe if you can, tell Jenny I love her and your mom. <laughs> That's adorable. Um, Jared wrote in and asked, do you ever get stuck in a voice and have difficulty turning it off? Or do you come out when you aren't, or does it come out when you aren't expecting them to come out? So, you know, you have your base, base voice, but after you've been doing one for a while, do you have a problem kind of getting out of it? Or does it, do they randomly just kind of, whether it be depending on your mood or just kind of randomly, do they come out without you intending them? They don't, they tend not to pop out if I'm just riffing with somebody comedically, then I might slide into a character or, uh, yeah, a, an impression or a voice or someone that I'm doing. Because I get, I have fun doing impressions of people I know, uh, which goes back to the earlier question. And if someone knows them, then they appreciate it. Um, I will say that when I'm over visiting family in England or Ireland, the longer I'm there, the more I will pick up uh, their phrasing and colloquialisms. And so sometimes the melodic nature of how they speak will rub off on me. So it's not something that's intentional, but sometimes I'll do it because in my mind, I'm thinking, well, if I speak more like them, 
they'll understand me better as opposed to me just giving it to them straight Yankee talk. <laughs> all right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I'm sorry to say that's all the time we have for today. So ladies and gentlemen, this has been episode eight of VisionCon Live. Quentin Flynn, is there anything you want to end off on before we wrap things up? Well, I'd like to say that Sir Henry Cooldown, some of you know him as Sir Henry Mother Effort, uh, <laughs> is in the trio of games of No More Heroes, and the, the third installment, No More Heroes 3, will be coming out sometime this year, 2020. Wait for it to drop, but make sure you jump on it while it's hot. Make sure you guys watch out for that. And ladies yeah. and gentlemen, this has been Episode 8 of VisionCon Live. Thank you so much for tuning in to watch me and my special guest, Quentin Flynn. Make sure to tune in tomorrow at 2 p.m. Central Time for my interview with Christopher Swindle, voice of Alfred from Bloodstained, uh, Ritual of the Night, Sully from Kingdom Hearts 3, Motobo from Baki, just to name a few. And then, of course, next Monday at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time for the one and only Spike Spencer, who's Shinji from Evangelion, Inojin from Boruto, Hinatoro from Bleach, and plenty more. Ladies Both great Andy. guys. Oh, my gosh. I'm super psyched. And thank yeah. you so much again, Quentin, for joining us. And to everybody else, we'll see you next time, guys. <laughs>